Thank you. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Patty and I are missionaries, as the pastor said, with missionary with biblical missionaries, biblical ministries worldwide. Right now, we are technically or we are on loan to Arabic Bible Outreach Ministries. We're doing audio and video production work for them, as well as managing our Arabic internet radio station and. Uh, just before I came, I looked up the analytics on that. We, uh, over the past 30 days, we have had 93 active listeners to the internet radio station, uh, 555 active listeners since January 1st, so we're, we're pleased about that. We are working to develop a more effective ad campaign on social media for the internet radio station. Uh, we, we have something of an ad going, but uh, if anybody has any expertise in that that would like to help us with that so that we can be more effective, more efficient with our ad campaigns to draw more people in to listen to the station who are seeking God's truth. That's really what we're doing. We are putting ourselves out there, offering the gospel in many various forms and various Arabic dialects for those who are seeking it. That's really the emphasis of our ministry, to offer it to those who are seeking it. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draw him. We are, we are offering the truth to those whom the Father is drawing to himself. So that's our, our, really our philosophy of ministry with that radio ministry uh, as well as the radio ministry in Provo that we were a part of for many years. We still have our fingers in that just a little bit. Uh, our current projects include the Egyptian dialect of the King of Glory video, an audio version of the Old Testament in modern standard Arabic, uh, we're doing an Arabic children's program of Bible stories that is being broadcast across Lebanon. That's been a fun project. Uh, we do return to Lebanon now and then, but uh, mostly we uh, do this work from our home in Utah. Uh, we're also helping with a small church plant in Brigham City, and they're going through some changes, as Pastor alluded to also. And So that's a challenge, uh, but that's the world we live in. There are changes. And I want to tell you a story uh, about Gary and Bonnie Witherall. Gary and Bonnie were missionaries who served with Operation Mobilization in the city of Sidon in Lebanon, where we were, some 20 years ago. Bonnie was serving as a nurse at a clinic that helped poor pregnant Palestinian women prepare for childbirth as an avenue to share the gospel. Gary, who worked at a church there, was still at home in the morning when Bonnie opened the clinic near the Palestinian refugee camp. Early in the morning of November 21st, 2002, Bonnie answered her door, uh, office door of the health clinic. She was confronted by an unidentified man. Without warning, he shot her three times in the head. She died on the spot. And this was a time right after 9-11 when anti-Christian, anti-American sentiments uh, were very high. And because Bonnie was killed, uh, Bonnie was killed because she was not a Muslim and because she was having an influence on Muslim women and children there in Sidon. To my knowledge, there has not been another missionary martyrdom uh, in Lebanon since then, but that is not the case uh, around the world in general. Some statistics. According to Citizen Link magazine, Christians are persecuted more today than any time prior to the 20th century. Christians are also currently the most persecuted religious group in the world. Persecution has intensified during the past several years. In just this past year, 360 million Christians, or one in seven believers across the world, has suffered significant persecution 
for their faith. Every day in 2021, an average of more than 16 believers were killed for following Jesus. With close to 6,000 total martyrs, 2021 saw a 24% increase in Christians killed for their faith. So persecution is increasing around the world. Why does God allow this? You could put an end to it. Why does God allow this kind of suffering of his people? Well, the opposition to Christianity and the gospel is proof of the spiritual battle going on in heavenly places. To us, when persecution happens, we, we, we see it as a, as a discouragement, as a defeat, as a bad thing, as a negative thing. But Jesus, in fact, says, no, it's not. It's just the opposite. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, Jesus shocks us with these words. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed. That is the opposite of what we think. Persecution is a negative thing. Jesus says, no, no, no. It's a good thing, actually. And let's try and understand why. Well, he's speaking here. This is a Sermon on the Mount, and he's giving the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes give us a paradox of happiness. Real happiness is found in a way that that seems opposite to what we always thought, the way that we would expect We think happiness comes this way. God says, no, (laughs) wrong thinking. Happiness comes this way. So the Beatitudes call us to look at life through God's eyes and not the world's eyes. So I want us to especially look at this last eighth Beatitude for a few minutes this morning, but let's look briefly at the other seven to get the whole context. Look with me, please, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Seeing the multitude, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's stop there for just a moment. Now, most translations use the word blessed or blessed. The idea of this word is, it really essentially just means happy. It's a very general term. Uh, And I like to say happy with a spiritual component. The world's idea of happiness is usually a very superficial thing, uh, and it's really not talking about a superficial happiness. It's more of a a deeper kind of happiness. But really the idea is just happy. So we're going to use that term this morning. The world says that you have to have pride and you have to have self-esteem in order to be happy. Jesus says here, the opposite. You, You have to have humility in order to be happy. And then the end result of that is, she says, to the humble belong the kingdom of heaven. That's quite an amazing promise. But it's not saying, if you are humble, God will take you to heaven. It's not a quid pro quo. Okay, Rather, it's saying humility is an attribute of those who belong to God's kingdom. The kingdom of heaven here, this phrase, simply means the reign of God in the heart and life. So it's not just talking about heaven when we get there someday. This, this is for the here and now. The kingdom of heaven is not just the afterlife. It is, it is here and now. Happy are the humble. Verse 4 tells us happy are the hurting. It says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Those who mourn is talking about uh, 
suffering, those who are hurting, especially in emotional pain. God uses physical and emotional pain to do good things in our life. So pain is not necessarily a bad thing. Jesus says, I will do something good with that pain. I will, I will work in your heart and your life to, to change you, to improve you, to help you see things from a different perspective. Pain, pain has a reason and a purpose. God does not allow it uh, without a reason going on. Now, there's a, there's a book I would like to recommend to you that had a, a profound influence on my perspective on pain and life in general. It's called Pain, the Gift Nobody Wants can't remember the, the author. I think it's Philip Yancey and Paul Brand, but I'm not sure. But uh, I would encourage you to look up that, that book, Pain, the Gift That Nobody Wants. Happy are the hurting. Verse 5 tells us, happy are the meek. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And meekness, as you've, I'm sure, heard, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is finding strength in God instead of in self. So the idea here, happy are those who let God control them. So this is why so many reject the gospel, I think. People want to be in control. People want to do what they want to do, and they don't want anybody telling them any different. They don't want to put God in control of their lives. That, that idea is so contrary to them that they don't even want to consider the truth of the gospel because it would make them accountable to God, and that is something that they're very reluctant to do. It's hard for us to let God be in control. That's meekness. But you will be happy if you do. Verse 6, happy are the righteous. Well, this maybe doesn't seem so opposite to us. Righteousness brings happiness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Righteousness is a, it's a habit of choosing to do right no matter the consequences. And that brings happiness. Verse 7 says, happy are the merciful Blessed, happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Do you remember the story of the unforgiving servant? He was not happy. <laughs> he did not find happiness in the end. Uh, God is merciful to us. He expects us to be merciful to others in return. If we do, we will be happy. Verse 8, happy are the pure in heart for they shall see God. <clears throat> the essence here is no hypocrisy. We named our second son Nathaniel, thinking of the story of Jesus when he meets Nathaniel. He says, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile, no pretense, no pretending. He's honest. We love that concept, and that's main reason we love that name, Nathaniel. But the idea of pure in heart is no hypocrisy. So God tells us, you focus on the condition of your heart and all the outward things, they will fall in line. Verse 9 says, happy are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Unity among believers is a major emphasis in the word of God. The gospel is called the gospel of peace because it reconciles men to God and it reconciles each of us to each other. Happy are the peacemakers. And we arrive here at the final beatitude. Happy 
are the persecuted, the one that may be toughest for us to accept, to grasp the concept, to embrace it. Let's look at verses 10 through 16 of Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Interesting, he uses that same phrase that he uses for the first beatitude. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution can take many forms. Uh, In Lebanon, where Arabic Bible Outreach Ministries, we call it ABOM, where they have their headquarters, the persecution most commonly takes the form of, of a hatred that kind of simmers below the surface. You don't, don't generally see it or feel it, but it comes out during times of national stress. It happened recently when, uh, it was just a few months ago, that there were some demonstrations in the capital of Beirut because of what's going on in the country. The, the financial situation has collapsed. The government is in great turmoil, uh, the, the corruption has come to a point where uh, the people are suffering greatly and there's, there's been a lot of demonstrations and sometimes those demonstrations uh, become more of a, a riot, they can turn violent, generally they're just demonstrations, but occasionally uh, they get, they get, they get uh, difficult. Recently, here as I say, a couple of months ago, a Muslim group began attacking apartment buildings in a part of the city that was known to be uh, the Christian part of the city. And so there was some fighting going back and forth for a few days. Finally, the, uh, the army was able to step in and, and quiet things down. But this is an example of the kind of persecution that is experienced in Lebanon. In Jordan, uh, we held a training seminar for creating radio programming there, and, and uh, this is when we were in Lebanon here a few years ago. They don't kill you in Jordan uh, for, for your faith generally, but they do kick you out of the country for proselytizing. In Egypt, uh, persecution is more localized. We have an Egyptian man who is recording the Old Testament in Arabic for us, and I've been working with him uh, to produce those recordings. And... Uh, Right now we're up to the Minor Prophets, by the way. We're, we're getting close to the end of that, so uh, that's an exciting uh, project as well. It'll be made available. It is being made available uh, of each book as we go on uh, the Internet, on the phone apps that ABOM creates. Um, we didn't have a real good recording of the Old Testament in Arabic, so we found someone who wanted to do that, and we're working with him uh, to do that. But he had to flee Egypt because of death threats to himself and to his family. Uh, he moved, and the, the threats followed him, and, and finally he had to escape. Uh, he's right now living in the, in the Southern California area and, and doing the recording for us. But that's the kind of thing, kind of, of persecution that they see in Egypt typically. Well, this last beatitude is unique. I mean, we, could, we could share these kind of stories from places all over the world, and you may be familiar with them uh, yourself, some of uh, the specifics. But, but the, the, the Beatitudes speak to this. And this last Beatitude is unique. It is the only one that is given three verses to explain it and then several more to emphasize it. And perhaps this is because it's the hardest 
paradox for us to embrace, to grasp. Uh, we are obedient, faithful followers of Jesus, and, and, it's, and it's hard for us to accept that being a faithful, obedient follower of Jesus brings this kind of response, this kind of reaction, this kind of pain and suffering. When we live for God, we expect to be rewarded. We want God to bless us and smile upon us, but instead, often we find the opposite. When we live for God, we want good things to happen. But Jesus says, in the world, you will have what? We all know this verse, but it's sure hard to really believe it. In the world, you will have tribulation. He also said, if they hated me, they will hate you. Sometimes tribulation will take the form of of someone hating you, sometimes maybe hurting you, sometimes even trying to kill you. But then Jesus goes on to say that when that happens, it's a good thing and you should be happy about it. We kind of just shake our head. Yeah, we, we, we read it, uh, but do we really believe it? Do we really accept it? Do we really embrace it? Well, that's what I'm hoping that we can uh, make a step in that direction, at least this morning. He gives us the reasons for their rejoicing. He says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Just like in verse 3, persecution is evidence that you belong to God. It means that your life is bringing glory to God by your testimony. Bringing glory to God is the greatest thing that we can do as humans on this planet. Let me say that again. Bringing glory to God is the greatest thing that we can do in this life. And if that means that it it requires persecution or pain or suffering in order to bring glory to God, uh, it's still a a good thing. This is why the disciples rejoiced when they were counted worthy to suffer for his name in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. They had learned this lesson that bringing glory to God is worth it, whatever it takes. If I can bring glory to God through some suffering, that's, that's a blessing. That's an honor to be able to bring glory to God. The eternal creator of the universe is a privilege for us, whatever uh, might be required for that to happen. So that's the reason for their rejoicing. We also have, in verse 11, uh, the form of persecution. He gives us three words to explain the form that persecution may take. And he uses the word reviling, persecution, and slander. Let's look at each of those here just briefly. Reviling, the essence of the Greek simply means to throw something into, into the face. And the idea is not necessarily a physical throwing into the face, but that's the image that is used to Describe somebody who is making fun of you, who is scorning, uh, criticizing. And the, the best example of this I could think of is Jesus on the cross. The, they stood down and they, and they looked up at him and they said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. And even the, the other thief on the cross, other thief, the other, I don't want to imply Jesus was a thief. Uh, one of the other men on the cross said, hey, if, if you are the son of God, save yourself and save us. And Many such types of reviling uh, were thrown at Jesus, thrown into his face as he hung on the cross. The word persecute essentially means to come after or chase after for the purpose of harassing or hurting. And the image that comes to mind is Saul persecuting David. Saul, for years, the king of Israel and his army, small or large, different times he took 
small groups or big groups, to go out and hunt David in the wilderness. And so David, for years, was fleeing from Saul to try and save his life and as Saul came after him to persecute him, to hunt him down, to kill him because of his jealousy. Uh, we also have uh, examples of the Jewish leaders and their treatment of Paul and Silas, throwing, him, throwing them into jail and some of the treatment that they received. And then the word slander essentially means to accuse or attack verbally. So this is not just to make fun of, but to verbally attack. Again, we have the example of the Apostle Paul, but we also have modern examples of this in, in media everywhere you look. We have... TV programs, we have podcasts, we have news stories. They are all full of examples of criticism and mockery of Christians and Christian beliefs and practices. I believe that persecution is only going to increase in the coming months and years. It is something that we are going to have to be prepared to accept, but not just, I want us to, to learn not just to accept it grudgingly, but to accept it as a, as a badge of honor, to be able to, like the apostles, like the disciples, to rejoice with exceeding joy because they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And that brings us here to two modifiers that we are given. He says the word falsely and, and for my sake. The word falsely... Um, the blessings that result from persecution only come for undeserved treatment. So he's talking here about false slander for persecution. He's not talking about if we deserve it for some reason, if we deserve uh, criticism. Uh, he's talking about criticism for, for your Christian testimony that results in persecution is what he's referring to. And then he says, for my sake... So not all religious persecution, even, is included here in Matthew 5. He's only talking about persecution that comes from being identified with the Jesus of the Bible or from teaching or preaching about the Jesus of the Bible. There are many in other religions, other faiths, who are persecuted because of their beliefs, because of their practice. Uh, God is not speaking to them here. As well-intentioned as they may be, their suffering is actually in vain. And that's another reason why we must do all we can to reach them with the truth of the gospel. Verse 12 gives us the prize of persecution. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Some translations even say, leap for joy, because there will be a reward I don't know, have you ever seen anyone leap for joy? I can't think of any time I've seen anyone do that, except maybe in TV commercials when they get the new Toyota or something. But uh, the idea of being so overwhelmed with excitement and happiness that you leap for joy is the image that we are given here. This kind of happiness, because of persecution, it is so opposite our normal, logical thinking why would someone leap for joy? Winning the lottery uh, when their favorite team uh, wins the big game. Uh, do you think it's possible that God could have some kind of reward for us in heaven that could be even greater than one of those things? I think it's possible. 
1 Peter 4.13 says, Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with, there's that word again, exceeding joy. To be chosen by God to be a useful tool in his eternal purposes is itself a blessing and honor far greater than we can ever realize on this side of heaven. Revelation 2.10 says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, that you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. All that we know about this particular crown is that it is a special reward in heaven that is worthy of leaping and rejoicing and shouting for joy. That's what we have to look forward to. And that can help give us a good, proper perspective on suffering and persecution. Now, verses 13 through 16 describe those who live their lives in such a way that they become a threat to the enemy, and thus they become targets for his persecution. Now, we should not seek to be persecuted, but when it does happen, we should consider it a badge of honor. It means that that we're poking the devil where it hurts, and he's poking back. He uses two words here, salt and light. Let's look at the verses, actually. You are the salt of the earth. Interesting that this follows these, these, these verses about persecution. And he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if that salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, and a city that is hidden on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And when they see those good works, they may persecute you because of it, and that will still bring glory to your Father in heaven. So he's talking about here those who are targeted for persecution. These are enemies of the enemy. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Salt is used for seasoning and for preservation. We throw a little on our meat, but it was much more of a significant thing in times when there was no refrigeration, Uh, they needed to be able to preserve the meat so that it did not spoil. Uh, So this was one of the main uses for salt, but they did use it for seasoning, like we do. Uh, And and in the same way, we we should be seasoning. We We should make things taste good. We should be making the gospel attractive. Uh, We should draw people to the Savior by our love and our peace and our joy that's in our heart. So we should be be seasoning in life. We should make life taste good. But we should also be preservative. And I think this is probably the primary idea that's intended here. Uh, We should be an example of steadfastness and consistent righteousness in a world that, that is ever sliding towards immorality and towards worldliness. And as we see our culture drifting more and more towards immorality, the contrast of our lives is more and more profound, and it will result in more and more people being either drawn to the gospel in a positive way or being uh, 
inclined to persecute believers uh, in a negative way, both of which will bring glory to God. The, the Bible says that right now we have, we have the Holy Spirit in the world, but when, when, the, when Christians are taken out of the world and the Holy Spirit goes with them, we will see the decrease, the, the, the collapse of society morally in, 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 a, in an exponentially greater way. Currently, the Holy Spirit living in believers is a, a preserving influence on society. We are helping to keep society from sliding into greater and greater immorality. We do see an increase in immorality, but it would be so much worse without believers here, and we will see that happen uh, at the time of the rapture when believers are taken out of the world and the Holy Spirit with them. So currently we are salt. We are preserving influence in society. It also says we are light. It doesn't say you should be light. It says you are light. What does light do? Well, light exposes darkness. When your life shines brightly, those who choose darkness will see you as an accusation against them, even though you are not directly accusing the, the very life you live is an accusation against them, and they will come after you and try to put your light out because of it. Jesus said, and he's speaking to some unbelievers here in John chapter 7, he says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. The world will hate you because you testify against it. Your very life will testify against the evil in the world. Nobody likes to be accused. We don't even like it, do we? We don't like to be criticized or accused or have any of our faults pointed out, and much less the world around us. When our lives are an accusation against them, they will react against that. Light also reveals truth. We've already talked about how truth is a concept that is under attack today. If you stand for truth, you will be criticized as a zealot, as a, as a fanatic. Uh, only fuzzy truth, gray areas, subjectivism are honored in our society. <clears throat> and we have to realize that we will find resistance when we stand, stand up and say, well, this is true, this is not true. When we point those things out, we will be resisted more and more so. Um, people do not want to hear that, and they will oppose you. So light also shows the way. Uh, it's important to remember that it's not our job to save people. Our job is just to point the way, and then they have to decide if they want to take that way. But it takes a lot of the pressure off of us. We don't have to argue someone into the kingdom. We present the truth of the gospel, and we let the Holy Spirit work in their heart to receive it. And then they choose to receive it or reject it. But our job is simply to present it. To present it hopefully in a way that is understandable and convincing. And our lives uh, reflecting it appropriately. But that is our job. We are simply the messengers. Uh, we want to make the truth available to those whom God is drawing to himself. And to those who are seeking truth. If it happens to result in disapproval or even persecution, that is evidence that we are fulfilling God's calling and that God's kingdom is being advanced 
through us. And that's a cause for rejoicing. The Beatitudes call us to look at the world from a totally different perspective, to see things as God says they really are, not as they seem on the surface. Maybe you've heard the saying, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And that's been proven true uh, across the world and across the ages. A woman named Dorian Hodges wrote this about Gary and Bonnie Witherall's story that we started with. She said, quote, I met Gary not long after this happened when he came to share Bonnie's story at the church I grew up in. God used her story to solidify my calling to be a nurse at just 13 years old, and even more, to create a passion to reach Muslims with the gospel. I never met Bonnie, but I can't wait to meet her in heaven someday. I am so thankful for her legacy. And Bonnie Witherall uh, is leaping and rejoicing in heaven. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we, we do thank you that trials, even persecution, have a purpose and that you will use these difficulties in our lives to bring honor and glory to your name. Help us to remember these things Uh, to be thankful and even rejoicing when we get pushback from the truth of the gospel that we share and even from the way we live our lives. And help us not to be uh, discouraged, uh, not to hide our light under a basket, but to to use this opportunity to be uh, even greater light shining for your name, for your honor, for your glory. And thank you for the privilege of allowing us to have some uh, little part in reaching the world around us uh, to be in heaven, to share the joy that you offer. Uh, Lord, we just thank you that you are a good and gracious and merciful God. And we, uh, we put ourselves in your hands and we rest in you today. In Christ's name we pray.